I, I want to quote an old song and, and see if you might remember this. We sang this years ago in, in church. Tempted and tried, we're all made to wonder why it should be all the day long. Though there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Father alone will know all about it. Father alone will understand why. Cheer up my brother. Cheer up my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. How many of you remember that song? Okay, we dated a few of us, all right? What, 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 what an incredible song, but it sort of, it doesn't almost fit. The lyrics don't almost fit in that, you know, you're tempted, you're tried, you're wondering, it's a difficult time, and then right in the middle he says, cheer up my brother. Now, it's almost like what happened when we were reading James last week. We're, we're in the middle of trials and temptations, and, and James says, consider it joy, and we go, that doesn't fit, but it's right. But I do think the song gets the order wrong. The, so, the song says, tempted and tried. James will say, tried and tempted. What I want you to know this morning is that trials set the stage for temptations. My good brother Ken Burton was saying to me last week, I'm really excited about studying the book of James, but sometimes when I'm reading James, I feel like James just goes from one subject to another without really tying them together. Just talk about the tongue, let's talk about works, let's talk about trials, let's talk about temptation. But one thing that's hit me in studying this week is that when Paul talks about trials and he shifts to temptations, he's not changing subjects. James is not. He's talking about how trials often or what set me up to do something I wouldn't otherwise do. When you're in the middle of a difficult time or you're stressed out, often your reaction may be something you would have never guessed you'd do. For instance, we've seen some of these lately. You're an owner of the Golden State Warriors, and you're sitting on the front row during the playoffs, and your team's not doing very well. And one of the Toronto Raptors... Kyle Lowry dives for a ball into the first row right by you. And in a split second, you're pushing him aside and cursing him out with words I couldn't use. You see, that that man didn't go to that game expecting that to happen. But in the middle of that tension, he reacted. Or maybe a few years ago, you're the governor of South Carolina. There's pressure at home, things aren't going well. There's pressure in the governor's house. And there's even talk about you running for the White House. And there's all this pressure. In a split second, you make a decision to pursue this South American Argentine woman and have an affair with her. It's not your normal behavior, but in the middle of that stress, you did that. Or maybe like two weeks ago, if you were me, and you were attending the National Spelling Bee. And you've, you've heard about that your whole life. And yet, two weeks ago, they decided, we're not going to award one winner. We're going to give eight winners out. Now, here's what I'd be. I mean, I, I'm tempted to run to the stage and grab the microphone and say, this is not upward basketball. Everybody does not get a trophy. What in the world is going when the National Spelling Bee gets eight awards and not one? And we're all tempted in, in that moment that we would never have been tempted in that way to do that. And you're in the same place I am too. 
You've got a difficult co-worker. You're not really a heavy gossiper, but it's so easy to gossip about that co-worker. You're having difficult financial times. And so it's so easy. You never thought you'd do this to fudge your expense account or to start, stop giving to God off the first fruits of what you've given. Or maybe you've had a, a stressful day and a, and a tough night and the next day you think, you know, I just got to get my mind off it. And you go on a spending spree and you spend money you don't have. Or maybe you're single and you're lonely and you've always dreamed about getting married. And you even come to church and you see all these married couples and even out in nature, you see two birds flying together. And you think, that's supposed to be me. And so you compromise your standards and you marry some old jerk that you would have never been with otherwise just because you want to be with somebody. Or maybe you're in college and there's all this pressure for school and to make grades and you study hard during the week. But to forget what you're in the middle of, you binge drink on the weekend. Or you're in a fight with your boss and a fight with your wife. And the easy escape when you're up late at night is just to go on the internet internet and look at images you have no right to look at or a preacher cuts you off in traffic we might be more um specific the landmark preacher cuts you off in traffic in the eastern boulevard and he's made you so mad that you raise your middle finger to him that's what i get for talking about people getting shot in traffic last week i literally got shot a bird right Guys, we do things in those reactionary times when you're stressed or you're tired or you're worn out or you're feeling alone or you're hurt or you're discouraged or you're, you're angry. You see, every trial, trial's not something bad, brings something that could be bad, which is a temptation. And so what James is going to help us do today is he's going to help us to be tried and tempted and triumphant. So let's dive right into the Word of God. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. How can we be triumphant when all of us go through tough times and all those tough times present temptations? Number one, don't look at God as the tempter. What James says so clearly is, is that God does not tempt. You see, there is that voice that's whispering to you, go grab the microphone and mess this thing up. Go look at this. And yet, what we've got to understand, that's not the voice of God. You know, in the Garden of Eden, after God made that rule about not eating the tree in the middle of the garden, he didn't later whisper to Eve, you know, I really wasn't serious about that. Go ahead and bite it. Nothing wrong with that. No, God does not tempt you. Now, God will put you in tough spots. God's like a good parent. He's like a good coach. He wants to put you in that tough spot. But listen, he doesn't put you in that trial to weaken you. He wants to strengthen you. But you see, there's another force named Satan who would like to use that tough time to to drop some bait in front of you and to weaken you. So, 
You know, would God put you in a tough time if you're a national spelling bee and you're mad about it? Yeah? Would God make you go grab that mic? No. Would God make your marriage something you need to work on? Yeah, because it can mold your character. Would God say it's okay to divorce your spouse? No. Would God allow you to be broke up with by your boyfriend and girlfriend? Yes. Would God tempt you to go get drunk because of that? No. You see, listen to verse 13 again. Look at verse 13 on the screens. James 1, when tempted, no one should say, that's us, no one should say, God's tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not God. You see, one of the worst things about temptation is when you get in that bad spot and you start blaming God. Leads you down a bad road. Number two, look at how temptation works. James outlines to us the progression of temptation. Uh, Listen to verses 14 and 15 again. Here's what he says. But each person is tempted. What happens? When they are dragged away by their own evil desire. It's not from God. It's something within me and enticed. And then what happens? Go to the next slide. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Well, let's try to outline this. Obviously, James is using fishing imagery. And so James would say there's a nice, shiny lure out there. And, 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 and Satan is able, in the middle of a really tough time, when you're already struggling, to try to allow you to escape through that. So here's how it goes. First of all, he does something that will get your attention, all right? It, it just grabs your attention. And then before long, you begin to have attraction. Not only does it grab your attention, but there's something within you that says, that would be nice, that would feel good, that would make me be better right now. And then in the middle of the attraction, what he wants you to do is to become obsessed with it, okay? And so you're obsessed with the temptation thrown in front of you, so obsessed that you don't even see the hooks dangling all over this. So obsessed with getting this lure that you don't think about what would happen. Okay, so far you've not sinned. It's not until you make the decision and you go after it have you sinned. But Satan can get you so strongly in this, these, these, this pathway of, of tension and attraction and obsession to finally you just go for it and you do something you think you would have never done. Now, let's be honest about this. We all don't have the same lure. Some of us would never be tempted by this, but we might be tempted by this. You like the little lure with the little propeller on top, you know? I love that. And some of us think, no, oh man, I could never be tempted by that. That's crazy. We all have different temptations. And here's our problem. Sometimes we judge people who have temptations that are unlike our temptations. I go, you know, man, you couldn't be tempted by that. I mean, you, not, you must not be a real fish. But people, people don't really get tempted by those kind of things. Well, here's the deal. Satan is so smart. He knows which of thousands of lures to drop into your face. Some of you, you can go to a bar from now to eternity and you never get drunk. Some of you can't handle walking in there. Some of you could put yourself in a situation where you could steal some money and you'd never steal it. Others, it would be so easy when it's just sitting there. You see, Satan knows the temptation. So the challenge for you and I is to watch how temptation works and to read ourselves well. I, I need to be a student of myself. I need to know what there is that makes me want to withdraw into depression, that makes me want to withdraw from my brothers and sisters in Christ, 
What is it that is that trip that makes me want to fly off the handle on anger and say things that I'll regret the rest of my life? What happens that makes me want to cover up my hurt and my pain with alcohol or drugs or pornography? All those things are simply escapes. So, you've got to know it's not from God. You've got to know how it works. So we know how it works. And we all could attest that's the way it works. Something grabs my attention. It sticks. I begin to be attracted. There's something within me that says, go for it. I begin to obsess about it. And then I go for it. Now James will give us two points. They're so critical if you're going to overcome temptation. Number one, look down the road. See where this temptation will lead. You see, what happens in the moment when the lure is dropped is I'm so obsessed with getting this that I don't pay attention to the hooks. I I don't look further enough down the road to go, if I make this decision, what's it going to do to my marriage? What's it going to do to my relationship with God? What's it going to do to me? You see, that NBA co-owner executive If he had had a moment to think about pushing that guy, and that would mean he'd be banned from his team's games for the next year and get a $500,000 fine, he might not have done it. You know, if the governor of South Carolina had taken a moment to visualize that god-awful press conference that we see too often in our culture, where the politician stands up before the press with his wife standing before him, he confesses what he does while she listens in with a glazed face and more pain than anybody ought to go through. If he just could have seen that, he could have said no. If he just could have visualized what it was going to be like to sit down in his den and tell his children that his father would be adultery. If he'd just known that not only would it, would it ruin his political career, but it would ruin his family. If he just looked down the road further enough, in the moment, he could have said no. And that's what you and I have to learn to do. We've got to look down the road. I want you to turn with me to a, a great passage. Um, Luke chapter, I mean, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 7. And, and as you go there, uh, let, me, let me just remind you of this graphic illustration he's going to use. Uh, look, at, look at James 1.15. Now he changes, he changes metaphors a little bit. And, and the words here are, they're sexual in nature. Uh, James is trying for some shock value in this passage. So he says, then after desire, that's a sexual word, to lust after something, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What he's saying is you're, you're being lured away. Now, Proverbs 7 gives us a great illustration of this. Proverbs 7 is one of those wise saying, as the wise man looks out his window, and he sees a young man that's going down a bad path. Look at verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. Are there any other kind of young people, Right? We just don't have good sense when we're that age. We don't think straight. Have you ever been on the side of a highway or maybe you're even in your car and, and you could see out of the side of your, your vision a car wreck about to happen? 
I mean, you saw it a split second before it happened. You knew it was going to happen. That's what's going on with this man. He's looking out the window. He's looking through the lattice, and he sees a, a, a wrecked life about to happen. Just read it. I love how real the Bible is. He was going down the street near his corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Can you see it happen? Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defined. Her feet never stay at home. Now on the street, down the squares, at every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, this is brazen. Today I fulfilled my vows. I have food for my fellowship offering at home. I've been to church. I've got things right. Everything's covered. So I come to meet you. I look for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love. This is not love, it's lust. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Oh, how luring. Then she, she makes him know it's okay. My husband is not at home. For real? <laughs> you, you're going to do this if he were home? My husband's not at home. Once you know that, he's gone off on a business trip. And he took his purse filled with money and he will not be home till full noon. Full moon, excuse me. Now listen to this. Here's the luring. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Now here's the warning. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. If only he had seen that. And that's what James is trying to do with you and I. He's saying, falling to temptation will give birth to two babies. Let me tell you the two babies. The first baby is sin. The second baby is death. He says, once you've consummated this sin, you've conceived this, it's going to give birth to some things you don't want to have to deal with. It's that sin that separates you from God. It's that death that finally says, you know what? I have created a chasm between me and God that is so awful. You see, what James wants you to know is what's going to happen not in the moment. That's what Satan wants you to know. He wants you to know what happens. And James does something really crazy here. He takes one of the most beautiful pictures we have in life, the birth of a baby. I was able to visit this week Chris and Casey Ivy in the hospital right after they had their little boy. Man, that's such a joyous, awesome time. And yet James is able to take what we say is beautiful and say, when sin, oh, there's babies born, but it's ugly and nasty and defiling. It's sin, it's death. Now, why is James picking this, this sexual imagery to, to get this point across, because he wants to bother you. He really wants to get under your skin about what sin does, because we have such a light view of sin, we don't always see, okay, well, I'd sin, you know, I made a mistake, shouldn't have done that, wish I hadn't done that, sorry about that, not so bad. He goes, no, 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 buddy, it is that bad, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. 
And, and what James is trying to say is, in that moment where you're going through that tough time and the lure is dropped, if you could interrupt that moment just by thinking of where it's going to lead you, you could say no. Look at the baby it will bring. That that outburst of anger may do damage in your relationship. That that lapse in judgment on your business trip might destroy your marriage. That your addiction to pornography might take over your life. That you going to that bar where you know you don't believe and taking the next drink, you've never been able to take one drink and it goes way too far. That you beginning to just fudge on your taxes leads to worse and worse things. And that when you got mad at church and you quit church, it led to spiritual death. Look at where it's going to lead. And then he gives us his last point, the strongest point, I think, which is to look up to God. Look down the road, what you can do, but also make sure you look up to God. Listen to these verses, verses 16 through 18. Don't be deceived. You see, that's how Satan works. I mean, this is deception. Because he does not drop something in front of you that's not looking good. He doesn't tempt you to take a knife and stab your leg. I mean, he doesn't do something. He tempts you for something that, quite frankly, is tempting. It's deceptive. So he says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Here's what you got to know. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadow. He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Three things to remember as we close out here. When you look up to God, remember who he is. Listen, my friends, the fundamental problem with sin is not practical. The fundamental problem with sin is theological. When Satan is most able to lure you, it's when you're in the middle of that trial and you start doubting the goodness of God. God, why would you let me go through this? If you're such a great God, why why do I have this problem? You see, it's in the middle of that that Satan's able to work. In the Garden of Eden, what Satan did, first of all, is he said, you know, do you really believe God when he said that? And, And don't you know that God's holding back on you? Really, if you'd eat that fruit, you would have all knowledge and all truth, and God doesn't want you to have it. I I know God said that, but God really doesn't want what's good for you. Let me tell you what's good for you. Guys, that's where it all starts. When I begin to doubt whether God really has my best intentions in his mind, and I begin to think, well, maybe you're not that good. Or maybe you are holding back on me, man. Everybody out here is having such a big time, and I'm not having that big time, and maybe I'm the one that's losing out. So remember who God is. What James says, God is that good God we just sang about a few minutes ago. He is good, good, so good. And what God gives is good gifts. Now, the problem is God's gifts are not always immediate. You you see, the problem with temptation is that we live in a day of instant gratification, okay? The lure is dropped. It looks so good. I forget about the consequences. I forget about God, and I jump for it. And for a moment, even God says, it's pleasurable. 
It's like the, the little boy goes to the toy store. His dad says, I'm taking the toy store. You can buy anything you want. You pick out one gift, anything you want. And what the dad's thinking is, my little boy needs a bicycle. And that's probably the most expensive thing in the store. But they get to the big toy store, and the bikes are all the way in the back. And despite the father's best intentions and efforts, the little boy can't make it past the row, second row, and ends up picking up a plywood paddle with a rubber band on it and a rubber ball. And that's what he gets. He wasn't willing to get to the back of the store when the dad had the good stuff. And so often to us, guys, we're willing to go for something immediate and temporary instead of being willing to wait on God to bring the good gifts. So remember who God is. He's the dad who wants to give you everything that's good. Then remember what he said. James says, you've got the word of truth. That's our problem with temptation. If we'd be honest with us, with each other, is that they're based on emotions. It gets our attention. It gets our attraction. I mean, we, we, begin to, we begin to feel something. There's something within our sinful nature that says, oh my goodness, that would be so good. And then we live in a culture that says, if you feel something, you must do it. If you feel it and you don't do it, you're not being true to yourself. Listen, my friends, if all of us do everything we feel like doing, this world is going to be a disaster. And we're starting to see it, right? Because we live in a culture that says if you feel it, not only should you do it, but it probably determines who you are. And God says, I've given you the word of truth. Because I know that you're an emotional being and so, so prone to be drawn to emotional things, I'm going to give you a black and white standard. Then in the middle of it, you can remember what I said. You may feel this way, but you know what God's word has said, and you can walk away from it. So you remember who he is. You remember what he said. And finally, most powerfully, you remember what he did. This would hit me studying these verses. These verses say God cannot be tempted by evil. And yet the book before this, the book of Hebrews says, Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are. What happened? God loved you so much. He was willing to take on flesh and feel and endure the trials and temptations that you and I endure. The God who could not be tempted places, it himself, places himself in a position where he is tempted. You see, the Bible can't say any plainer. Jesus was tempted. What does that mean? There were moments in Jesus' life when the bait was dropped. And you may be uncomfortable with this, but it's the truth of Scripture. Where the bait was dropped, where there was something within Jesus that was attracted. Listen to me, guys. That's not sinful. It's not sinful to be attracted to something. What's sinful is when you go for it, okay? And so Jesus had those moments when the bait is dropped, there's an attraction. But unlike us, he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without what? Sin. 
Jesus came to show us it's possible to say no. He came so he could be the one that could help us when we're tempted. We understand this. If you've got a major issue with drugs, the person who's most able to help you is the person who's been on drugs. That's why our RSVP ministry is led by Ed Bice. Because he's been on cocaine. And by the grace of God, he beat it. That's why you have people like Yvette Brady in our depression ministry, because she struggled with depression. And she understands what it's like. And she can help you. And that's what's so awesome about Jesus Christ. Listen, my friends. He's been through tough times. In the midst of those tough times, he has felt temptation. So here's what the Bible says. I love this verse, Hebrews 2.18. Because he, that's Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Here's the good news. He is able to help those, that's us, who are being tempted. Now, I know everybody in here has probably got something going on. And there's some lure in front of your face. And, and sometimes you feel uncomfortable talking to God about it. You don't want to name, Lord, I'm struggling with getting drunk. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with greed. I'm struggling with materialism. Sometimes you, you pray to God and you don't even want to say the word because it sounds so, so nasty. But listen to me. There's never a time that you go to God where he shakes his head and says, Sorry about that. I'd love to help you. Hope you do better. Good luck. See you in the judgment day. There's never a moment where he shakes his head and goes, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'd love to, but I just can't relate. My friends, we serve a God who loved us enough to put himself in our place so that when you hit the moment of temptation, he could help you. And so this morning, we're about to sing this song about how bad we need him. If you need the prayers of his people today, if you've tried to overcome this trial, or even the temptation it's led to, or even you fall into the temptation, if I know anything about this church, is you could confess it on this front row. And not only will God, who understands temptation, come to your rescue, but you'll have a lot of people to surround you. So if beating this temptation on your own is not worked and you're so frustrated today, I want you to do something specific about it.